Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Sofen. Here at the Smart Firefighting Podcast, we bring practical innovation to life for first responders. We break down the research roadmap for smart firefighting, published in 2015 by the National Fire Protection Association, NFPA, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. We bring in entrepreneurs, fire chiefs, thought leaders, and really smart people to bring you value around innovation in smart firefighting. Make sure to follow us on social media and let us know what you think. Today, you're going to hear from Tammy McLean, who's the founder and CEO of Global Conversion Technologies. Tammy's going to give us some behind-the-scenes information about TechX 2021, which is a premier public safety training and technology experience that immerses emergency responders in live-action crisis scenarios where they then learn to save lives with advanced technologies. TechX is a great example of how we can connect the dots between first responders, entrepreneurs, and really take that technology from a whiteboard and get your hands dirty to really deploy it and use it in the field and get feedback from first responders. Tammy's been in the middle of everything going on from Hurricane Ida and the upcoming tropical storm and just give some history looking at what were some of the challenges and failures, but also success from Hurricane Katrina to what happened most recently with Hurricane Ida. And Tammy is really just a leader and innovator for the industry. And I know you're really going to enjoy listening to her and make sure to check out globalconvergentech.com and all the links in the show notes. Take care and talk to you soon. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. Really excited today to be sitting with Tammy McLean, the founder and CEO of Global Conversion Technologies. Tammy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well, uh, even though I'm in the midst of a tropical storm right after a hurricane, but that's kind of the way it is in Southeast Louisiana. Yeah, you have really been in the midst of everything going on with some of these hurricanes and natural disasters. And so it's September 14th. I mean, how are things looking and how is everything within your area in Louisiana? There are areas that are just horribly devastated, uh, just south of New Orleans, probably. You know, will take years to come back. And then where I am, just north of New Orleans, there are areas like that. The little town that I live in is pretty badly devastated because it has a lot of trees. So it was pretty badly hit during Hurricane Ida, but the uh, responders have made good progress. A lot of trees have been removed off of roads, but still you find that there's a lot of services that you don't have. Like right now, I don't have internet service. I have power, thank God, but power is not coming on for everyone right now. It could be another week or more. Wow. And, and I mean, it's one of those things where a lot of people, they see in the news and it's it's maybe trending for a week or two, but a lot of these disasters, we see them coming and then they happen and then it, the impact is felt days, weeks, months, years later. Correct. Because when that hurricane happens or when that crisis happens of any kind, it could be a wildfire, it could be a tornado, it destroys so much and so randomly in cases that let's say it affects a city for many years because certain services are no longer up and running or the businesses that that have been operating out of that location can't now. They have to rebuild or folks that are working in those businesses or working as first responders, their homes have been damaged. 
They can't live here. Where are they? They could be in many other locations trying to get back home and unable to because it's devastated. And that, that has long reaching implications, both, you know, from a personal standpoint and from an economic standpoint. Yep. And a lot of what you and I both do is to kind of raise awareness and connect the dots around all things technologies for first responders to allow them to do their jobs better, help the community more effectively, make sure they can go home to their families. Mm -hmm. But there's so many variables within that continuum and and the the frequency of these both human and man-made disasters or natural and, and man-made disasters are are just random and, and creating all sorts of challenges. So you know from my knowledge that's sort of one of the reasons why your organizations exist. But give me for those of us that don't know about your organization and what you do, give us a little bit of a high low overview of uh what is global conversion technologies, why you exist, and, and why we should be aware of it? So Global Convergent Technologies is a company that is in place to look for, find, evaluate, test, and prove technology that can actually solve crisis problems in a crisis. That could be in a ready, respond, recover, rebuild part of that life cycle of a crisis because, you know, some some of what we need is to be ready for a crisis. What do we have in terms of a, of a command center if we're a, an agency that has to prepare and be ready for, for this sort of event? And then once that happens, are we ready to respond? Do we have the right technology, whether it's drones or AI or even a command center or the network? What happens when your network is down and you don't have anything to collaborate with those agencies who are coming in to assist? And then, you know, recovery. What does that look like? How do you recover when all of the network is gone, your technology has been destroyed, or you don't have the right technology to help you rebuild and recover? So we find ourselves looking for this technology by creating these events that we call TechX. So in these events, we we create or, or a crisis environment or multiple crisis environments. So, for example, this year we're doing civil unrest. We're doing uh, search and rescue plus wildfire. We're doing about three others. And what we do is we come up with a narrative around those certain crises. And then we look for technology to help in that ready, respond, recover, rebuild crisis management lifecycle. And what is going to help someone that knows that a civil unrest riot could occur in their town. What do they need? What sorts of equipment do they need as a city? What sorts of technology do their agencies need to respond? How do they stay safe in that? And how do they mitigate it if that's possible? And then once that response happens, how do they do this in the best way possible to keep themselves safe, keep their end users safe, their community safe? And then when you come to the recovery, what, what do you do with these folks that have you know, destroyed your city? How do you then rebuild from that? So we just find these, we, we create these narratives. We go to a place called the Guardian Centers in Perry, Georgia. It's a uh, first responder training facility. We enact these in live scenarios. So we take real first responders and we say, here's our story. Come help us recreate this in a real environment. And then we're going to find technology to help 
address all of those issues within that within that particular crisis. And what this does is it, it gives both the entrepreneurs, the innovators of this technology, the opportunity, unlike anywhere else, to work hand in hand, you know, first person with the real first responders who would be using their technology. Not only does this help the entrepreneur understand if his technology is really valuable and needed, but also that they can innovate on it even in a, in a, in a maybe better way because they've now talked to the first responders who are actually using it. So it, it becomes both an innovative and educational place to learn, but also to give those first responders access to technology they don't have the time to go look for. A lot of these agencies are small agencies across the U.S., and they don't have a, a CTO or an IT manager. So we help them get access to this technology and see it working. And it's proven in an environment that's familiar to them. It's really awesome. And I think one of those biggest, the big things I talk with entrepreneurs is that your your idea may seem great in all your business plans on the whiteboard, but at the end of the day, you got to be talk with first responders. You got to go out and shout out to Caleb Holt. You got to burn it, break it, right. blow it up. And you got to, <laughs> and if it's not actually helping the first responders, I mean, if it's, I mean, the goal of technology is to make first responders life better and easier, not harder. But I, I do think one thing you brought up that I find to be very interesting is whether we're civilians or first responders, we often find ourselves relying on technology. I mean, here I am with my smartphone and yep. think about how often we defer to our maps, our apps, our, you know, buying e-commerce, everything is run through technology. But how does that work with, uh, you know, creating, you talk about creating these different disasters. I mean, how do you go about creating an actual disaster and showing that, hey, these traditional technologies that you normally rely on don't work? Talk me through kind of an example of how a, a hurricane or wildfire example unfolds within the TechX environment. So this year we're doing a search and rescue plus wildfire. And the idea there is to take, we're, we always think about California because California is probably most affected. There are some other, you know, Western states that are by, by these wildfires. And we think about what it's like, how does it start and what's it like to respond to them? So in this narrative, the wildfire is already ongoing. It was caused essentially by an earthquake that caused the fire to start. And then the responders who are actually working in that, there are some who are on an airplane because, you know, they use air operations to either surveil an area see what they can, where they need to go next, or to get responders to a different location so they can fight that fire in another manner. So these responders are on this airplane in a recon and more of a reconnaissance or surveillance mission, but the airplane actually crashes. And now we've got to go find another group needs to come out and find these first responders and actually rescue them. And so they can bring in many types of technology to do that. And that's how we we take up that narrative and we look for that. So it could be IoT sensors on a drone. Let's fly that out there and make sure that the air quality is okay so that we can send in new 
responders. And before we even find them, what sort of technology can we utilize to actually find those people in the midst of basically a destitute area that's already dangerous because of the wildfires? And then how can we get them out of there? There are drones actually that can fly people, believe it or not, Um, medevac type drones. So we've found all sorts of technology that will help responders in those destitute environments actually get to where they need to go, collaborate, because there's also ways to have network across these sort of destitute areas that aren't your traditional wireless or wireline type networks, and then be able to, you know, keep those technology vehicles up and running collaboratively. So there is a way for it to happen. Sometimes, of course, you've got to rely on your old-fashioned maps and, you know, intuition and knowledge and experience, which we rely on our first responders for regardless. Mm. And just to break it down a little bit more for some of the entrepreneurs that are interested in trying to participate, how does that process work where we have, there's a maybe a a pre-seed style company or, you know, TRL one to five technology. What is that process with getting involved? And then what's that look like on the ground? Is it like, hey, first responder, here is this new deployable drone. Here's this new Mm -hmm. sensor. Here's this new PPE, you know, just go try it. Or, you know, how does that work with taking new tech to actually even just piloting it within the TechX environment? So I've been really honored and privileged to work with a lot of very knowledgeable folks, both from a public sector experience side of the house and those from the technology side and some that actually blend those two. And so what we do is we come up with a narrative and then we create basically an event, right? You've got to have some way for folks to actually see this stuff in action and we create an, a way to participate. So we've got participation options for people to decide how they want to participate. So if you have, for example, a drone and you would like to participate at TechX, you go in and you look at our participation options, you select what you want to do. And then we have a conversation with you and we say, hey, you know, these are the the crises that we're attending to this year, and and you want to be in one of those, which one would work for you? And how would you see your technology being used? Because, you know, you can talk about a drone and there's lots of different types of drones and they're very useful, but then there's also AI technology. There are, you know, mixed reality types of technology that, you know, are on the market or coming on the market that's so interesting that folks do not see on an everyday basis. And so we try to find those as well and say, okay, well, you've got this AI technology. Where would you put it? Who would you put it on in this environment? So if you're in a search and rescue with wildfire crises and you have an AI-enabled technology, how would it work? How would we put it on? Is it, you know, something on helmet? Is it something, you know, on eyeglass related? And then we actually use that technology. It, it has to come to TechX live. It has to be able to be installed if it's something, you know, that's an installation. We have to be able to use it. So we have to have a network and we look for remote network technology companies. We've had many come and participate with us. And then we actually play that, put that into the narrative. 
sometimes we have to change the narrative so it fits the the technology and that's always fun to do and so when the entrepreneur is there not only is their technology being used live in those active scenarios but then we also give them a space to collaborate with the first responders if they're not on the out in the field with them in the scenario we give them a place to interact and collaborate and we call them base camps inside another area where they can actually sit down and talk about the technology and go into it in detail and train them on it if needed those base camps are so important because i think we all know that a lot of this technology creation and this change management adoption is not a linear process. It's often yeah. a meandering river that starts yeah. at one place and, and goes somewhere else. And I think you'd be surprised, but the most important is having those conversations, getting your hands dirty, getting in the field. And so I, I strongly recommend everyone who's thinking about trying to get involved with the program to do that. And we'll touch more on those links and those and the information at the end. But one thing that was a question that was sort of burning in my head earlier when we were talking was just relating to what's going on today and mm-hmm. looking back at history with, let's say, for example, Hurricane Katrina, something that everyone points to and relates to of a kind of a turning point of how we were doing disaster response. Yeah. And then to 2021, you know, not even talking about COVID, but just talking about this hurricane response with Hurricane Ida and now this tropical storm coming in. What are maybe some of the examples or a use case where you can think of, of where we had something and that happened that was a failure or success? And then looking at how we responded most recently, that was either something that is, hey, we did a good job listening and learning, or maybe even an op- something where you're like, man, we're still missing the boat here in terms of how technology really could be used to better support first responders and better uh, help the community at large. Well, it is kind of unfortunate that budget, sometimes politics, sometimes change in, in management and government can cause us to not move as fast as we would like to move. So I will say from a Hurricane Katrina to a Hurricane Ida perspective, there have been definitely some changes. So Hurricane Katrina devastated South Louisiana from the coast and then up into Mississippi as well, of course, as you know, but well into the center of the of the state. And that's an interesting thing to think about is how far reaching a disaster of that type can be and how many communities never thought they would see a hurricane or never thought they would see a COVID. I mean, think about that in and of itself. You know, we actually, so I was with another company before, and this is idea spun up within that company. And we've done, I think, 16 crises in the past. And we've been able to see the difference in what pre-technology type of response is and post-technology. So from Katrina to Hurricane Ida, Hurricane Harvey was in between there. We've had command centers pop up that can actually help first responders from different agencies collaborate regardless of the radio system they're on. These command centers can actually pull them together on one collaborative stream, which is pretty cool. There's also virtual reality versions of those command centers, which are unbelievable. So it doesn't matter where you are, 
or whether you're in person or not, these command centers, whether virtual or regular, actually can help you stay communicating with those agencies who are coming to help you in these disasters. Drones is another one. So many different innovations within the drone technology world, you know, going just from a you know, let's have a surveillance tool in the military that allows us to, you know, see what, you know, the the other party's doing. Now we've got drones that can go in tunnels. They can be dropped from huge areas to get into areas that, you know, your standard drone cannot go into. And then the networks. So, you know, we think about network and radios, and there's all of these different types of networks now that can be popped up anywhere, either from their own server system to using solar or wind power. So a lot of technology innovations have happened since Katrina that it's very impactful. The problem is, how do you find out what that is? How do you get that to see it? And how do you implement it? How do you, you know, how much does it cost? So these are things that we examine and why part of the reason TechX is so great because we bring all of this into an arena that, you know, our first responding agencies can actually come and and experience and the technology can actually be put right in front of them. You bring up a lot of good points there, but the two that I wanted to dive a little deeper in is the funding and then the adoption. And it seems like oftentimes we can all agree this technology is great. And I hate to say this phrase, but oftentimes we hear that the terrible phrase, it's the hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. Some truth to it, not entirely true, but still there's as great as it could be. A lot of times people resort to what they have been trained on or what they know. And so you could even give them this next best thing, but if there's not necessarily a requirement for it yet, or if their their superiors aren't doing it, why is someone going to necessarily put their neck out and try something different? That also could maybe, let's say, get them into trouble if it you know goes poorly. And so I think it, that's where it does take this ecosystem approach from adoption, but then also on the funding side, some of the stuff ideally is is cost effective, but then some of it is also. It's a new capital expenditure, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 20, 50, hundreds of thousands of dollars of new equipment. But I think then that's really, it's really important to show how do we change this from being a, a want to a need. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of the how to kind of drive the funding roadmap and then how to also influence the adoption roadmap once technology is, is, is eventually acquired. I think just seeing it in action is, first of all, showing the need. The very first one of these that we did was in 2017, and it was in Georgia, and we will do these in other locations, but this is just where we've been doing the the large activity. But it was right after this huge fire that had happened on one of the major interstates in Atlanta. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we had the city of Atlanta, some of their city managers there and responders. And I do recall one gentleman coming to me after we showed some of this technology and said, wow, I wish I had known about this before this interstate fire happened because they literally had to shut down a major thoroughfare or several major thoroughfares for quite some time. And that, if you've been to Atlanta, their traffic is horrid and you hit that at the wrong time of the day and and you're going to be in traffic for hours. And 
So folks are, <laughs> how hard was that for them to have to deal with the type of traffic and issues that that caused, not having a drone that could fly in there and and see where the the vulnerabilities were in that area, or to know when they could actually bring traffic back on safely. There are just technologies that we've been able to bring and show that when you put it in front of a leader or commander or someone who can actually make the decision to purchase, when they see it actually working and it's tested and proven, that's something that we do. We don't just bring technology there and, you know, pretend that it works. It's actually working. And at the end, say, well, you know, you've been proven. You've gotten through this process. We've evaluated it. We've talked to you. We've seen your technology. We've actually put it in practice and it works. And it it is much more authentic and meaningful to those decision makers by seeing it in practice. And then in terms of, you know, how do you get this contract? What I have seen, a lot of these entrepreneurs and innovators work first responders, whether in the military or law enforcement fire, and they know what it's like to have to try to get this technology. And they, with the rate of technologically advancements, the faster you can get in there, the better, right? But a lot of times eager to help you get this technology and will come with you when you have a response and put their technology in that arena so that you can actually use it. And then that kind of helps close the gap as well. They've seen that that these technology innovators are are open to actually helping them in a crisis. And then, you know, I've seen sales close after that. Thanks for that context. And yeah, that's all just important part of this nexus of how we bring technologies and get them in the hands of uh, first responders. And it, it is some of the best technologies are actually some of the developed by first responders for first responders that, yes. you know, ones that have really been in the the trenches and experienced some of those hardships that have been in the situation with, with no communications and no third-party support and, you know, needing to perform a life critical mission. So I think all those kind of help drive and push the needle on where technology needs to go. Yeah. And, you know, one of my partners will say, can I put it in my backpack? If it's too large for me to take and put in my backpack, it's already, you know, who knows how many pounds and actually use it, then it's not going to be useful. So we've seen some innovations in that way. One, for example, was a battery pack that was built by some community college students. They started a company and then it was really great. You know, they it was an iPhone charger and the, the charger itself would charge an iPhone in like 30 minutes and the charger would stay charged for 24 hours. And it was like, wow, this is so cool. But it, it was, you know, fairly large. It, you know, for me as a woman, I couldn't put it in my pocket, you know, but men could, could kind of put it in their pocket. And they came the first year and everybody loved the idea, but it just didn't work. You know, first of all, an austere environment, it had to be in an outlet at some point for charging. So they came back the next year and they had basically what looked like a slim smartphone. And it was the battery charger that was not only ruggedized, but it was solar powered. That was a hit for that particular year. And, you know, it was something simple like that. Once you actually go talk to first responders and they give you immediate feedback, which they're likely to do because they know it's it's not a place to BS. You know, you've got to tell the truth and you've got to have authentic 
conversations. And that's what TechX actually does. Yeah. Well, for those that are interested in registering and kind of really formally getting involved, re-update me on exactly when it is and what are some deadlines and and different links that uh, we should be aware about if, if different parties want to participate. So we're looking, we're getting close right now. We're actually having the event November 17th through the 19th, and it's at the Guardian Centers in Perry, Georgia. This facility is amazing. It is over 800 acres. They have something they're they're calling a cityscape. It's a 20-block deconstructed city, basically. So they had it built after Hurricane Katrina to help first responders actually be able to train on these types of crises. So we work with them pretty much very closely using their exercises. They take our narratives and, and we blend all that with the technology as we build it. And so in order to participate, we have off of our website, globalconvergenttech.com, we have a TechX space. Uh, You can see where you can sign up either as an attendee or as a participating company. We're getting close to our deadline, or I wouldn't say it's our deadline. We're looking at a go, no go uh, for September 30th. And that could have a couple of implications. Some of it has to do with COVID. Some folks are not able to travel, but we'll probably push that a bit. We see some movement occur, but we are also doing a couple of things. So regardless of whether, you know, we can do a live face-to-face, we will still go to the Guardian Centers. We have a partner who is building a virtual reality platform for us. So all of this technology, once you, you know, a company wants to participate, they can go in and also participate in the virtual reality. And we will have a live hosted and broadcasted TechX. We'll be enacting the scenarios with any technology companies that want to come and put their technology in it. And we'll also have them inside the virtual reality. So anyone who's not there and either wants to interact with it themselves via the virtual reality platform or come along with us as we broadcast it with our TechX team, we'll have those options as well. And then we're looking toward next year. All of the missions that we're doing this year, we're taking each of them and putting them into various locations across the U.S. and even in Germany to find, you know, so that so we can bring TechX to them. So our first one is going to be in North Carolina. The facility is yet to be determined, but that will be in March. We'll continue having the virtual reality up and running. That's called techx.futura.town. It'll stay up and running with this year's missions until November 15th of 2022, when we'll flex to what we're going to do for TechX 2022. Wow, a lot going on and a lot for everyone <laughs> to be in the know and aware about. But, but Tammy, everything that you are building with global conversion technologies and tech actually so it's so exciting and there's a lot of amazing other people that i know are helping to make this happen but your leadership yeah. and insights to kind of help spearhead all, all this does not go unnoticed and on behalf of the smart firefighting community and fellow innovators and technologists out there thank you and I, i'm really excited to partake whether that's in person or virtual and i know it's, it's only going to continue to get better over time Yes, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome, Tammy. Well, thank you again so much. Take care and look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.